0: Ashling Byrne is an award-winning theater director, screenwriter, and filmmaker. She is the founder and artistic director at Run of the Mill, an award-winning arts organization at the forefront of inclusive arts practice in Ireland, supporting a learning disabled artist and performers. Now, their recent work includes a nine-venue national tour of the award-winning Making a Mark and the All Abilities Casting Initiative in collaboration with the National Talent Academy, aimed at leveling the playing field for people with intellectual disabilities in film and television. Now, Ashling's new film, Headspace, takes us on a journey with a young man, Tony, who has Down syndrome and struggles to find paid work, causing him to be faced with a moral dilemma while staying at a community home. Now, Headspace is a phenomenal film that has been qualified to be considered for a 2024 Academy Award after winning the Oscar Qualifying Award at... Cork Film Festival. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome writer, director Ashley Byrne and her short film "Headspace" to the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Delighted to be here.
0: Well, since you since you have a very vast background working with uh, those with disabilities, how did you come up with the idea for the film?
1: And um, that's a great question. I suppose. Um, a lot of the work that I like to make, particularly in film, is you know in the realm of social realism of some description that's sort of like shining a light on um something about our contemporary reality or something that we haven't seen before and as I was building our company run of the Mill which supports people with intellectual disabilities in the arts in Ireland, um I spent probably ten years um working in the orbit of disability services in ireland and like the community support homes or the day services where the actors that i was working with would be attending and i often found myself over the years encountering such interesting dilemmas or unseen um tales that i used to think God, you couldn't write this world, you know. Um so I thought if you're saying oh, you couldn't write it, uh, which is a is something we love to say in Ireland, oh my God, you couldn't write that. Um, you know, maybe you should try. So I, I I came to the story from, I suppose, 10 years spent um in, you know, in in the world of disability services in Ireland working as a as a director and a theatre maker. Um, and I suppose there's nothing in Headspace that doesn't have its roots in authentic reality or a story or an anecdote that has been shared with me over the years.
0: Well, how did you come to choose a character with Down syndrome? Because, you know, there's different intellectual disabilities. Uh, Could be neurodivergent, could be uh, autism. Uh, But why, why Down syndrome? And why was that important to you?
1: well i suppose that's very connected to the talented lead star of the show Um, i i i would be interested in carving out ways of working with actors with intellectual disabilities in a way that's authentic and and um is taking into consideration um who's going to play that part and who's going to play it authentically and where the story's coming from? So when I wrote Headspace, I actually wrote it with the script consultation of Mark Smith, who's the lead actor. He is a longtime collaborator of mine. We've toured a, a theater production nationally together that's all about his life. So I was drawn to writing the story for, you know, a particular talent. And so Mark has Down syndrome and, I always, when I wrote Tony, it was always going to be Mark for me. It was always going to be Mark who played that part. So, um, and I do think that that's something in terms of my work, working with intellectually disabled performers, that I think is really important, is that we sort of rewrite the rule book in terms of how films are made. Because in filmmaking, casting is often the very last thing to happen. Whereas I, I feel that, you know, if I'm going to tell stories from this community, That community needs to be consulted in that process and also given the time to consider how they're going to approach the character um, rather than just getting a script into the hand on the day on set, which can sometimes be the case in short filmmaking. Um, So I wrote it with Mark in mind and Mark happens to have Down syndrome. So that informs the character.
0: Well, you know, my grandmother spent her whole career working with special needs especially those with Down syndrome. So it was nice to see a story like this one. Uh, What did you learn before making your film? Well, since you had worked with Mark for quite a long time, um, did you visit um, a lot of these community houses to see uh, what the dynamic was uh, between those that lived there?
1: Yeah, and I suppose I did so in an ad hoc fashion. It wasn't kind of... I'm going to write this film, so I'm going to go and do the research. It was when I went to write the film I realised how much I had observed over the years. And um, so Mark and I, as I say, have toured the country with a like an award winning show, and we've we've there's very little we haven't done together. We've gone on roller coasters in Disneyland Paris. We've you know we're kind of we're a bit of a uh, we're a bit of a pair, and we we're very good friends as well as collaborators. So whether it's collecting Mark for our next escapade from his house or dropping him off or, you know, helping him go over lines for his script before a project. I actually found myself spending time in his house as opposed to visiting there for research. So between that kind of like boots on the ground experience of that world and then all of the anecdotes that he'd be telling me, um, it's sort of I realized I knew I knew a lot about it. And anything I didn't know, Mark, as script consultant, was able to inform me from his lived experience. But it would be something as simple as I might be collecting him for a project that we're doing in the Abbey Theatre in Dublin. And he would come bustling into the car and say, oh, my gosh, sorry, I, I couldn't I couldn't get to my lunch in the fridge because Mary was busy doing this or I didn't get to sleep last night because one of the housemates was blaring his music so kind of over the years i began to collect a little treasure trove of things that were just day-to-day normal life in a shared home but for me had a kind of a such a richness like like any art you you observe the poetry in the mundanity as an artist or as a writer and what was like a small aspect of his daily routine i thought was so interesting because it's a world that people don't get to see. It's a it's a house that the lid isn't blown open of very often to see what's going on behind the walls, you know?
0: Yeah, it's almost like, I guess, the script kind of wrote itself.
1: Mm. Yeah, it actually did in a way. Like, I mean, I, I put it through about 11 or 12 drafts. So the first draft or the structure definitely wrote itself. And I mean, at first I remember thinking, how am I going to contain this? Because there was so much... There was so much I wanted to say about this world and these characters and these people. And, you know, at one point when I was writing, I was like, this is a this is a whole TV series. You know, like I, (laughs) I can't contain this in 15 minutes. But um, like all good writing processes, you need a good editor and you need a good to get the get the shears out and think about what really gets to the heart of the story. But yeah, like the like a lot of the great films of like. the likes of Ken Loach and any filmmakers that deal in the realm of like authenticity and social realism, really like the world, the characters should speak for themselves. You know, I didn't feel like I had to be too heavy handed about it. It was, the story was there.
0: Well with Mark, since he already had experience, what -hmm. was the casting process like? And uh, can you tell us a bit more about the cast?
1: Yeah. So um, I actually wrote the, film for both mark and jackie o'hagan who plays the female lead they are real life housemates from a community house in our small town in ireland here so i wrote the lead characters of tony and ruth for both of those actors in mind and and jackie is also a member of run of the mill which is our theater troupe for actors with intellectual disabilities and So that was an easy cast, and they were in my head from the moment I wrote it, Um, but the rest, and then we, there was a kind of a non-speaking role for another housemate, so we they approached actually on my behalf their other housemate who doesn't have acting experience, and they were like Brian, we're doing a film. Will you be in it? Like it's about it's about a house like this. And Brian was like, sure. <laughs> so in the film, three of the people in the house are actually housemates in real life, um, and the antagonist character that was a little bit more challenging because, you know, we wanted to make the film very authentic and natural to the to the environment. And this character has kind of challenging behaviours or behaviours that are certainly challenging to live with. And I guess that can be something that's hard to perform on film without feeling a little bit inauthentic. So we felt that for that character, we needed someone with a bit of screen experience. So we went out to the wider community in ireland of people who work with actors with intellectual disabilities and we came across this talented young man called daniel ryan and he had a list of screen credits as long as your arm he had been in feature films he had acted with jane seymour in harry wilde this tv series so he was like the as we called him daniel day lewis because his name is daniel he was like the Daniel Day-Lewis of the Down syndrome acting community in Ireland. So we we sought to get him involved. And um, he he didn't disappoint in terms of he was such a consummate professional. He was able to deliver a character that's actually so different from himself um, and do it so naturally because he had experience on film. Whereas a lot of our actors are more experienced in the theatre, which is a little larger in performance and a little bigger but Daniel was able to like bring the subtlety to it. And it was quite funny actually on set, like there was a little bit of healthy competition going on where, you know, like Mark was like, well, I've toured my one man show to nine venues. And Daniel was like, well, when I was working with Jane Seymour. <laughs> so it was, it was great to watch the dynamic of like, ultimately they're actors that are competing for a lot of the same parts. So, you know, it was, that was quite funny.
0: You know, I was I'm I'm really surprised because with his character being obnoxious um uh, with the other housemates for that to be um actual acting
1: mm-hmm. that
0: that blows me away. I mean, that is phenomenal. That make, that just you know, just knowing that story makes this Kind of elevates this film a, a little bit more because I wasn't so sure. Because with the main character, Tony, which being played by Mark Smith, you know, I was, you know, I was kind of wondering, was he acting or was he being himself? Because all the characters in, in, in the film, very, very authentic performance. And mm. I always look at the eyes when it comes to a performance, but every single one of them, I'm like, are they acting or are they yeah. not? So
1: yeah, it's, it's kudos to ob- you. <laughs> it was a, That's a great observation because that was very deliberate. And even the cinematography, we went for kind of shaky handheld shooting style, like lots of movement in the camera that we wanted the audience to feel a little bit like you were a fly on the wall of this environment. And if people ask me, like, what are you proudest of about the film? I will say without a doubt, it's the performances of the actors because they nailed it. And for me, even though there's so much incredible Down syndrome talent out there and and learning disabled talent in the industry, um, you don't often see um, very high level performances in that very naturalistic genre or, you know, like, you know, where the reality isn't heightened in any way it's actually very real and so a lot of people you know wondered was it unscripted people wondered and they wondered was it like was it improvised because it feels very real tony is somewhat close to mark smith's um character but then mark is an actor he's bigger and he's more larger than life and he's you know He's a real chatterbox, whereas Tony's quite quiet. And certainly Daniel Ryan is nothing like the, the 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 rather challenging individual that he plays, but he nailed the the style of performance. So it's actually a great compliment to the performers that people wonder, was it acting, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, you really you really have me thinking because. You know, when act, when directors are working with actors, Mm-hmm. And let's say directors working with actors with non disabilities mm-hmm. versus a director working with actors with, let's say intellectual disabilities, is there, is there any real difference between the two, or, um, or does the general public not give enough credit? To those with intellectual disabilities, that they are as smart and capable as we are.
1: I think, yeah, it's such a such an interesting question. I think the thing is, like, it's probably why I'm so passionate about work that platforms, you know, learn disabled talent and voices. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to vouch for or give credit to something that you don't get to see. You also can't be what you don't get to see, and so for me. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that culture, be it film, television or cinema, changes perspectives, it it changes um, society because it, it brings things onto the table, it brings awareness of lived experiences, it makes you look at things in a different way and if the general public underestimate people with intellectual disabilities, it's no surprise because for years, this community has been underrepresented and misrepresented. And um, so it's not to say we cannot speak about a whole community like there's all these shared characteristics because it's like, you know, you've met one blonde girl, you've met one blonde girl, you know, you've met one person with a disability, you've met one person with a disability. But I guess broad strokes, what we try to do at Run of the Mail, our company, is um, open up the conversation. And, and it is a conversation. There's no point in you know i think we live in a culture where sometimes people are so afraid of doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing or getting it wrong that we don't create room for dialogue so what we try to do as a company is say it's okay to have that conversation about the misconceptions you might have about working with this community of actors and look here's some of the here's some of the accommodations that we've learned that are helpful to make if you want to work with this amazing talented bunch of people but whoever you decide to work with, if they are an intellectually disabled performer, find out from them what their access requirements might be because needs are so individual. But I I suppose in my experience, we've learned some basic things that are just really helpful. And I always say, what's good for the few is good for the many. So all of the accommodations that we make are gonna benefit everyone. So we would work across shorter days, we would, have a relaxed set, which just basically means like, as we say in Ireland, everyone be sound, be nice. (laughs) Be like, Like film sets can be stressful. We we don't do stress on our film sets because that's not gonna support our actors to give a good performance. We try and give people more time to uh, work with the character. We do long rolling takes instead of resetting all the time to give someone a chance to get into the zone or, get a verbal prompt on a line if they need it and also kind of loose approaches to text i think um, sometimes when you're working with actors with intellectual disabilities a misconception is that they t- text can be seem a bit au- inauthentic or a bit performative and if you think about it you're working with a community of people who have barriers to literacy so if you hand somebody a text and they have to read it, and it takes them a long time, you're going to hear that sing-song reading of the line from an actor who struggles with literacy. So how can you think outside the box? We provide scripts in audio format. We sometimes say, you know what, say it your way. Doesn't matter what it says on the page. This is what's happening. How would you say it? You know. So little things like that, I think, are it's the blueprint we're trying to create for how we can work inclusively.
0: Well, you know, I, I commend you for doing a film like this because even with the housemates, each one um, had, has a different level of Down syndrome. You know, it's, it's like even in the world of autism. You know, there are those that have autism that if you talk to them, you wouldn't have a clue that they have it. And then there are those that could be nonverbal, slightly verbal, maybe some with ticks or no social skills so there's different levels same way with down syndrome and and I love the fact that in this film not actually you know it's, you, you know I, I wouldn't say that you're highlighting the disability but to see the different levels within a community house and and the interaction I thought that that was uh, I was impressed
1: Thank you. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, you, you raise a really interesting point. Is that you know we all know what it's like. Well, a lot of us know what it's like to maybe live with somebody um, who's a little difficult to live with. Hopefully, that's not like the person you married, <laughs> or like maybe, maybe it's like someone you went to college with, or you know when you're in a roommate situation. But a lot of the time, people look at a community house for uh, disabled adults, and they don't. You know that's a every action we've had to the film is you don't kind of consider that they might have to live with people that are not on their wavelength or they don't connect with or they have nothing in common with like why is it that just because this group of people have down syndrome that we would assume that they all have so much in common and they they all can live so well together and that was an observation i made over the years of working in disability services i was like wow people don't think about that a lot of the times we have this objects of charity culture where people sort of say "Whoa, isn't it great that we can we can provide like fantastic social housing for people with additional needs but actually you're not thinking about what that really looks like you know in in reality what are the challenges of that of course it's fantastic that we can provide adequate services as a society that wants to to really look after our, our most vulnerable people but but there's, it's not without its challenges, you know? Well,
0: yeah, well, I'll, let's talk about the character here because and the actual film, because Tony, uh, being played by Mark Smith, he really wants his own money. Um, he wants his own place or his own space. Is his use of headphones a way to escape the life that uh, he's living, or is he trying to shut out Michael, who is loud and a bit of an attention seeker?
1: I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Like in my mind, I thought that like the headphones were kind of symbolic for just a little, trying to find a little bit of peace in a tumultuous world, you know, which we can all relate to. Um, And I think that borrowing from some of the, like thinking of Tony as a character and borrowing from some like of my knowledge of say Mark over the years, sometimes if you have a lot of your life very gatekept and you're not really supported to have much autonomy across your life, you may be thinking a very like literal way about how can I just get myself out of this situation right now? How can I immediately uh, stop having to listen to this noise? How can I immediately escape? Like the headphones aren't a long-term solution, but when you're someone like Tony, there's no easy answers to the problems Tony faces. He's not going to be able to move out to a A mansion by himself and have all the peace and quiet in the world he's not there's no quick fixes to the problems that he has so he thinks more short term he's like right now i need headphones and that will get me out of this particular hole that i'm in right now you know so it becomes a metaphor for like him taking a bit of control of of a situation that he has very little control of
0: well is that where the title headspace came from
1: yeah yeah it's like he wants he's looking for headspace really throughout the film like a little bit of it's like there's a lot of grunt mounting issues in his life from his inability to find employment to his living situation but he can't even hear himself think long enough to think of a way out of it so for me I thought like it's just that bit of headspace that he needs.
0: Yeah you know one of of the uh, scenes in the the film where uh, it's Michael's birthday (laughs) and When he gets handed the blue box, the present, I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, please don't let it be headphones. Please don't let it be headphones. Because I was afraid that if the gift was headphones, I'm like, what is Tony going to be thinking? Because that's what he wanted. He He wanted a new set of headphones. Yeah. But when he pulls out the karaoke microphone, I was just like, you're pouring gasoline on a fire. I mean, he's already loud. And you're going to make him louder. I was surprised yeah. that Tony just didn't look at him and almost, I was surprised he didn't have a look of anger.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think like, that's the whole thing about the the character of Tony is he's kind of mild mannered, like even when he's pushed and that's sort of his downfall is that, you know, and, and like I say, everything in headspace comes from real life. So there would be these fantastic characters in, in the service that I worked as the artist in residence, like, coming in with like full gold jacket regalia on a wednesday like a a boy's own t-shirt tucked into shorts you know this amazing get up as we'd say in ireland like you know sandals and socks like unapologetically i am me and wailing like uh, boy band songs into the abyss like so unselfconscious such fantastic characters and so loved by the community of staff and carers and you know and rightly so like an amazing interesting and quirky characters like michael but you don't think about the other side of that coin where michael's very endearing and his staff want to give him he loves singing and they want to like encourage that love for him so you kind of you don't think about the poor guy who's having to live in the room next door to him and that for me was a very interesting conflict because there's no real like textbook villains in Headspace. If the film was about Michael, you'd probably have great empathy for Michael and think he was like one of life's great, interesting, funny, hilarious characters, but not so if you had to live with the guy, you know? Um, and that that kind of thing has really happened. Like we have a few, I, I've encountered over my years as an artist and residence, a few karaoke kings and queens who mightn't be the most tuneful and, that can sometimes be encouraged by, you know, like you're in a world where the the care staff and and the the staff members are trying to encourage like the interests and hobbies and you know goals of everybody. But what happens when those things compete directly with somebody else's wants, needs, and wishes? So, um, headphones would have been good, but the microphone to me felt like that really is something that like the staff member Siobhan would we'll be like, Michael loves singing. We'll get him a microphone, <laughs> you know?
0: Well, yeah, because it was funny because it's more of giving him, the, uh, giving him a gift that encourages what he really loves instead of giving him a gift to subdue what he loves. Even though Tony, you know, I was like, okay, if the, if the gift was headphones, how would Tony would have reacted to that? Would have been jealousy knowing that he really wanted a new set of headphones, Um or, you know, it, it would have been a whole different dilemma, but I like the fact that Tony was the lead character, so it really works by having Michael as the antagonist in the film, but, uh yeah, you did it right.
1: He's <laughs> like, there's no heroes and villains in this world. Like, you're not even like, you're kind of going to... A staff member, like for goodness' sake, like why would you get that? But you can see that she's kind of ticking a box in her job as well, like because she's thinking about that individual at that moment, and she has five people to think of, you know. So it's sort of like the system is the villain, not the no one within it. That's kind of what we're trying to. That would be my observation of that world. It's the and this not that the system is the villain, but the system is the thing throwing up the barriers all the time.
0: Well, you know what? You bring up a whole nother conversation because the system uh, for those with intellectual disabilities, that's a whole different story. And because my grandmother spent her whole career working with those with intellectual disabilities and even disabilities far beyond that, I don't think the system, I think the system has improved a bit. But the baseline of the system, I don't know if it's actually changed at all. What is your thought?
1: Like that's that's really interesting, because actually I came to this whole field of work because of my mother. And she was a nurse in uh, services for people with intellectual disabilities for 30 years. So I grew up with a lot of uh, people with intellectual disabilities in my orbit and in my life. And when I graduated drama school, I was really interested in working with communities as she had and and grew up in a very inclusive kind of town where people with disabilities were part of the social fabric of our community because of these services that we had based here and um so like i would i would firmly believe that it's one of those what makes it so interesting to me is it is one of those systems that is very well-meaning and very well-intentioned certainly nowadays but it's it's fraught with like complex intersections of barriers because it is not that there's anybody sitting at a desk going we're going to make life really difficult for somebody it's just that you've got how do you best serve a community of people with competing access needs and requirements how do you disentangle quite an institutional or medical model of care and create an a more idealistic one that's you know, based on social inclusion and community inclusion, you know, we do live in a late, an ableist society, whether we whether we like to think that or not. And that doesn't come from anyone's personal malintent. It just means that we are grappling with trying to figure out better ways to provide models of support and there is no real easy way like in an ideal world every single person with support needs in the world would have you know a person per person to support them and enable them and encourage them but that's not unfortunately realistic in terms of building a system on that model so so it's it's a tough one and any any system like that that's fraught with these kind of complex um moral or ethical dilemmas or conundrums to me as an artist is an interesting one so whether you have a a passion or an interest in disabled lives or not to me this is an interesting world to make art art about because it's full of complexity and full of dilemma
0: yeah absolutely and I think a lot of people need to realize uh, regardless if someone has down syndrome autism if they're neurodivergent they are as smart as anybody else on this planet. Don't take advantage of their disability because there is a creative person within them. And I love the fact to see that, you know, some of these are, they're they're actors, they're professional actors. They know how to turn it on. They know how to handle a script. And I just love the fact that you brought this story to life to... To allow, like you said, allow us the audience to be the fly on the wall. Now, what has been the audience's reaction to your film?
1: And um, very positive, and um, I would say general audiences at film festivals um, really love the film for its, I guess, cinema attributes. And um, people are saying that they have never seen such a sort of rich performances from uh from an actor with down syndrome like mark's anchoring lead performance is like um attracting a lot of praise and um, the cinematography and also i suppose as you'll know yourself there's quite a bit of wry humor which for me is very true of this world like it's it's a it's di- tony's story is difficult and you feel for him but it's very funny too like there's there's nothing you can't you can't deny that there's. There's an inherent humor well, in this. There's a throat. it's a
0: dry sense of mm. humor.
1: Yes, for sure, for sure. And I
0: picked that up from Tony's character because he would say certain things that I and I would be kind of smiling or you know, chuckling a bit, no. thinking, Oh, that's good.
1: <laughs> it's kind of tongue in cheek, and in cinemas, like when it's live screened, it gets it actually gets a lot more laughs than i ever thought it would actually like the wry humor is really picked up on in cinema screenings i suppose there's that communal audience experience certainly our community of actors with intellectual disabilities are really inspired by it and really saying like i want to be in a film i'm excited by this and then we have a lot of audience members who have a connection with this world whether they are social care workers or have a family member with an intellectual disability in some way This world has intersected with their lives and the response has been thank you so much for showcasing this because i've actually never seen a house like like this on screen before and you really people are sort of saying that the film really captures a lot of the conundrums of that world even like the sort of hard-pressed staff member who is trying to be all things to all people but she just can't be in 15 places at once so i think people feel quite represented by the film which is all you can hope for when you're making a socially realist kind of piece of cinema that people feel that it is.
0: Well, we need more more people like you in this world.
1: Oh goodness. I don't know about that. I'd say my family would be like one is enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, how does it feel to be considered for an Oscar now that you're Oscar qualified?
1: That's that's very, very exciting because, you know, when you're a writer or a filmmaker, a theater maker, like, especially in ireland although i'm sure it's the same in every other country like all of your aunties and uncles would be like are you still doing the the drama stuff you know like it's sort of like you're plugging away and you've got you're busy as ever but people don't uh maybe know that much about the world of filmmaking and then you're on the long list for an oscar and suddenly everyone knows what that means so it's quite exciting when you know uh, everyone is really buying into the journey and and it's it's also just such a an amazing honor and mark smith is like uh, you know he has his he know he's been following james martin from an irish goodbye closely he knows that james got to go to elton john's party and he is like i'm manifesting that that's going to be me next year <laughs> so it's, it's very exciting and it's great fun as well it's something to celebrate you know
0: well, it is, and you know, uh, for all the for all of you who are watching or listening, if you have anyone in your family that is in the creative arts, if they're a musician, a filmmaker, a writer, it's a real job. So, <laughs> <laughs> it probably takes more work to do it than it does if you were working nine to five. But, uh, Ashling, you have a real job, and you know it's funny that uh, sometimes just the mention of an Oscar. Uh, I think it uh, validates uh, yourself, but it, val- it, it causes validation for everyone around you to realize like, oh, this is a serious, this is a serious deal. So, uh, uh, but no, kudos to you and congratulations for being Oscar qualified. But I also understand that you have a new upcoming short film called Turnaround. Can you kind of give us a quick glimpse of what that's about?
1: yeah i actually wrapped and premiered another film since headspace called misread but i i wrote i wrote that for daniel ryan who plays michael in it he was just so good i was like i've got to write this guy something so that premiered at the galway fly in july and i've just been awarded a focus short commission from screen ireland so screen ireland is like our film board so that is um a story set on the west coast of ireland about um, a lady who is responsible for turning over Airbnb's high-end properties on the, you know, gorgeous Irish coast for mostly tourists coming from America. So it's kind of like a look at the, you know, the the, the realities of the life of the woman who is responsible for. Preparing those gorgeous houses for tourists to come, so it's a and a discovery she makes in one of these houses on a particular day. So that's called turnaround, which is a, a med, what they you call when you're turning over an Airbnb. It's a turnaround, and she gets paid for each one. And that's going to uh, shoot in March and hopefully premiere next summer.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, can I give us a quick glimpse? Because I know that once a film is Oscar qualified we know that after that it's going to you know then you're looking at the possibility possibility of being shortlisted then comes uh you know a possible nomination if you're on the shortlist where does bafta and ifta uh where does that fit into all of this
1: so we're not actually bafta qualifying for headspace unfortunately because it's a film in the republic of ireland as opposed to northern ireland so and we didn't our award wasn't at a BAFTA qualifying festival it was an academy um qualifying one but um the IFTAs would have been on last year so we we kind of just missed the qualification boat for that unfortunately and because we won at Cork in 2022 so we we missed out on our kind of window of opportunity to be considered for an IFTA but um that can be the next goal for the next film hopefully
0: Ah, there you go, and ladies and gentlemen, Headspace stands out among so many short films because the actors are so authentic. I mean, sometimes you don't know, are they acting, or is it real life? But so is the life situations that are portrayed in this film. See, Headspace is about the tensions and the frustrations of life in a community house that start to close in on Tony, the main character, a young man with Down syndrome, when he realizes he may have to cross a line to end a nightly disturbance but i want to thank you ashling for sharing your film with us today
1: thank you so much it's been such a pleasure
0: well ladies and gentlemen you can catch all the replays of our interviews with top film directors like ashling byrne producers and screenwriters actors and more on our youtube channel bond on cinema And we are also available on a dozen audio platforms, such as iTunes and Spotify. So make sure that you subscribe and give us that five-star rating. I want to thank you for watching and listening. And as for me, I'll see you at the movies.